0: In our gospel reading for today, that you heard, whatever campus you're at uh, of hope around the state of Iowa today, in our gospel reading, you heard the Bible reader at your hope location read what Jesus says in John 10, where he says, I am the gate. I am the door is another translation in some of the English translations of the original Greek. I am this doorway, this gateway. I am this transition point from from the black and white and the shades of gray to the full color, the technicolor. I I am from old to new. I I am from despair to to hope. I am this transition point for you. I am that door. I am that gateway. And so that movie scene, to to start the sermon, uh, depicts... A little bit of of what Jesus is saying gives us a visual on that. I am the gate for the sheep. This is all a part of our Lenten sermon series called I Am. In John's Gospel, Jesus makes seven I Am statements that identify him for us, for the world around him. He says, I am. uh, We we kicked it off a couple weekends ago. I am the bread of life, John chapter 6. Last week we focused in on Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, John chapter 8. Today we turn the page into John chapter 10 and Jesus gives two I am statements. I am the gate. Everyone say, I am the gate. I am the gate. And I am the good shepherd. Everyone say, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And I don't know about you, but for the longest time when I would read John 10, if I'm going to be honest, and I always try to be, when I'm preaching especially, I got really confused. I got really confused. How can you be... A good shepherd, I kind of get what that means, that you're a shepherd who leads and guides and and directs and and protects and heals and uh, cares for and watches over, the shepherd watching over his flock. And I get the doorway, the gate, I, I am the gate, I understand that, but I don't get how they come together. Why is Jesus saying both of these things at the same time? I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Hold that thought. We'll get to it as we go because as we get to it, I hope that what you'll discover is just how radically relevant this text is for us. Because remember, we're not just identifying Jesus. Jesus isn't just identifying himself when he says, I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. He's also helping us see how we relate to the creator of the universe who he has come into this world to bring us closer to because he is this creator of the universe. I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. The first thing Jesus says about being the good shepherd is there's this recognition that's based in a relationship. I know my, the voices of my sheep and more importantly the sheep know my voice. The sheep recognize his voice, the good shepherd's voice he calls, the good shepherd does, he calls his own sheep by name. So in this metaphor that Jesus is using to identify himself and in so doing to identify us in our relationship with our creator, he says, I am the good shepherd and that that therefore means you and I are the sheep. Turn to the person next to you, wherever you are, Ankeny, Des Moines, Johnston, Grimes, Waukee, Ames, Forest City, right here in West Des Moines and say, Bah. Just go ahead and get this. It. Kind of fun, is it? <laughs> wow, here in Westmoreland, you really leaned into that. That was impressive. That was a big buy. We're the sheep, which is kind of fun until you realize sheep are not the most intelligent animal on the planet. And sheep are kind of followers, and sheep kind of just go with whatever the other sheep are doing. And when you think about it, there's a lot of truth to that. That's our temptation, at least to conform to the world, to let the world set our values, to let the world tell us who God is, to to invent spirituality in our own image, to invent God, however we want God to be, to to, to say, God, this is who I want you to be, and so therefore, guess what? That's who you are. Do we really think God's fooled by that? I want you to be this kind, I want you to be my kind of God, this sort of God, and so therefore I will invent you as that kind of God instead of the God who reveals himself to us in the scriptures that have been tested and and have been found to be true and authentic and and have a depth to them that us wishing upon a star or inventing our own spirituality could never even come close to. So better for us to find the truth, the better way, the deeper truth, the more abundant life that Jesus offers. One who says, I am the good shepherd and you are the sheep which is humbling I mean, the the offensiveness of the good news, even the offensiveness of the gospel in this story is we're like, Jesus, you're the good shepherd. That's great, that's wonderful, I'm glad for that. But I don't want to be a sheep, I want to be the shepherd. I want to define who God is. I want to make up my own values. I want to set my own life course. I want to conform to the world. I want to go with the flow. I want to fit in, I want to be popular. I want to do all these things. But there's no truth in that, and so there's no freedom and there's no life. Do you remember when you were little, or maybe you are little, still, and you're young, and so you go out and you play with your siblings and your friends, and then your mom, when it's dinner time, calls you home for dinner? That's how it was for my brothers and me growing up. We would go out in the backyards that we all kind of shared with the neighbors, and we'd run around, and then my mom would open the door, and the other moms would, too, at different times, and say, you know, for us, it was, David, Mike! Um, I forgot my little brother's name. I mean, who cares about the little one? <laughs> Tim or something like that. That's his name. Dave, Mike, Tim, t- time for dinner! And my mom had this kind of, well, she had my mom's voice. She has my mom's voice. It's that distinctive kind of sing-song, mom, dinner, dinner, and no other mom had her voice. Of course, she didn't have my friend's mom's voice either. They're all distinctive and we're all, we all knew them for what they were. You probably already know the science on this. that A baby in the womb recognizes the voice of her mother or his mother and has this bond. And so after the baby is born, research has shown that the baby, the baby's heart, this is the part I didn't know. The baby's heart rate actually goes down, is calmed by the voice of her mother or his mother because that's the voice they got to know in the womb. They have this relationship which leads to this voice recognition. It's a deep bond. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like between him and us. If we allow Jesus to be who he really is, instead of inventing a God that we want to be, I'm the good shepherd for you. You are the sheep, but the good news is, is you know my voice. And if you don't know my voice, get to know it. Bond with it. Connect to it. Get to know my word. Study it. Immerse yourself in it. Soak it up. Understand my, my better way, my deeper truth, my more abundant life. The sheep, that's us, recognize his voice and he calls his own by name. When our son was a senior, our oldest son, John, was a senior in high school, he was on the track team at Waukee High School and he was uh, running and toward the end of his senior year, the coach uh, decided, to have him try the 400 meter hurdles. He'd done hurdles before, he'd done the 400 meter before, that's one lap around the track. He'd done all sorts of different events, but he'd never done the 400 meter hurdles, and that was on purpose. Nobody wanted to do the 400 meter hurdles. It's grueling. I mean, it's bad enough that you have to practically sprint the whole way, 400 meters, but then you have to jump over 10 hurdles between the start line and the finish line. And so John sort of got drafted onto this part of the team, and, He's still got to do some other events, but 400 hurdles is where the coach wanted him to to be so that he could get more qualifiers for state from Waukee. And the first time John was going to run the 400 hurdles, I remember talking to him the night before, and he was more nervous than I'd ever seen him before an athletic um, contest. And he says, I I don't, I mean, I've been practicing it a little bit this week, Dad, but I'm afraid I'm going to either like fall flat on my face over one of the hurdles or I'm not going to make it, (laughs) because it's a long, I mean, it's longer than you think when you have to jump over these things, and you have to sprint the whole way. Some of you may be around it, or you have family members who have. He was genuinely kind of freaked out by the whole thing. And I said, well, John, I'll I'll be there. I'm sports dad. (laughs) And I I was a mess of a sports dad when he was little, but then somebody got in my face. This is just a little extra bonus for those of you who are there. Somebody got in my face and said, what you're doing to your son isn't good. Stop living vicariously through him. Stop making, making it so he has to succeed on the, on, the, on the court or on the track or on the football field in order for you to justify your existence or something as a human being. Let it go and just be a cheerleader for him and just encourage him. That was just a little extra. That was just throw, not talking about you, just talking about who I'm talking about. Because <laughs> it's a big temptation for parents. I need you to do what I didn't do. I need you to succeed where I somehow didn't, or I need you to be as good as I was at something that maybe you don't have the gifts to be that person, or you're supposed to be something else. Let it go. Encourage your kids. Don't, like, squash their hearts. Anyway, I said, I'll be there for you, John. And he says, well, I don't want you at the finish line just waiting for me, because I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the finish line. Position yourself at the 300-meter mark around the last turn before I get to the home stretch. And when I come around, he said, say something encouraging. (laughs) I'm like, I'm in. I'm going to do this for my son. This is what I will do. I am a father. This is what fathers do. And so the race starts, and he's coming around. He's going great. He's coming around the turn at 300 meters. And I still remember like, yeah, Jonathan, Woo! you're doing great, you got this. And apparently I have a big voice, I don't know. <laughs> but he recognized it in the way the sheep recognized the shepherd's voice. <laughs> and I'm kidding you not, He's running but he's like. <laughs> and then he went on and finished the race. <laughs> Poor kid, he can't help the dad he got. It wasn't his choice. So here's a picture a few weeks later at Drake at the state meet. And the reason I love this picture is, I don't know who took it, somebody from the infield, obviously, it wasn't me, because that's me right there in the orange shirt. At the 300 meter mark, every time he ever ran that race, saying, yeah! So just seconds before this, that was me, yeah! You got this! The sheep recognize his voice. That's us. We recognize the Good Shepherd's voice. He calls us out by name. We know his voice. He calls out to us. He watches over us. He leads us. He guides us. He admonishes us. He corrects our path. He calls us to repentance because he loves us the way a Good Shepherd loves his sheep. I am the Good Shepherd. I walk ahead of you and you follow me because you know my voice. He says that twice, because you know my voice. He wants to make sure we grab onto that, that we grab onto his word, that we recognize this is of God. This is of the God of the Bible, not the God we invent. This is the God who's true. This is the God who calls to us. This is the God who is. And because we get to know the God who is instead of the God we invent or imagine or make up, we have freedom. He walks ahead of us. We follow him because we know his voice. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. And that... What good news. What, what a wonderful blessing. Or so it seems, at least on the surface, if that's where we leave it. But I want to take you deeper. I, I, I want to encourage you to look closer at what's really going on here in this text. Because by the end of this chapter, after Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm the gate, they want to, the crowds want to kill him. They want to arrest him for calling himself the good shepherd. Why would they want to arrest him when he he's offering to take care of us, to watch over us, to be kind to us, to heal us, to do the things good shepherds do for their sheep? Well, because the crowds, a lot of them had religious traditions and they knew their scriptures. And they knew the scriptures which we now call the Old Testament said that God is a shepherd. God is our shepherd. And so for Jesus to claim to be a shepherd, he's claiming to be God, which to them was blasphemy, which meant they needed to have him arrested or worse. Here's some examples from the Old Testament. I don't have time to get into these in too much detail. We will on Wednesday night at our page two service here. If you're hungry for more, come back for that. This is us. So often when we wander off, when we go our own way, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all on the shepherd. We get lost and we need a shepherd. Turn the page to the most famous psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Among other things, he leads me beside still waters, beside peaceful streams. This is what the Lord does. This is what the Creator does. This is what God, Yahweh, does. And so for Jesus to say, this is who I am, he's not just saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a nice moral guide in your life. I'm a, I'm a leader who you should follow. I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm, a, I'm a good religious teacher, and you, sh- you probably should try to glean some of my teaching and apply it to your life. By saying I'm the good shepherd, he's saying very clearly to anybody who knows their religious tradition and their scriptures, he's saying, I am God, shown up in human form. I'm God in the flesh. That's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they were so offended. I am this Psalm 23 shepherd who leads you beside peaceful streams. Psalm 121 says more, the Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Turn the page deeper in the Old Testament, or before that, in First Samuel 17, Jesus is also equating himself with King David, which is a pretty bold claim, considering King David is the hero of all Israel in their history. He was, before he was this great warrior king, what was David? He was a shepherd boy who took on seven-foot, two-inch giants, or nine-foot giants in this case, and and defeated them. David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem when he was a boy. That's what he did. And so Jesus is saying, I'm like David. But more than that, I am God. Turn the page again to Ezekiel chapter 34. The prophet says, declares the word of 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 God, you are my flock, the sheep of my pasture, you are my people, and I am your God. God is the shepherd, And his people, us, are his sheep. So for Jesus to say, God is the shepherd, you all know that. I'm the shepherd. He's saying more than just, I'm a good leader or a guide or a teacher. He's saying, I am the one. I am God. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I am the good shepherd, but that still doesn't explain the shepherd and the gate part. How do those go together? In fact, after the first five verses of Jesus saying, this is who I am, the crowd is confused. And so Jesus hits it again, starting with verse 7. Verse 6 is this transition verse in John 10. And Jesus says again, okay, you didn't understand what it meant that, that you hear my voice and I'm the shepherd? Well, I'm the gate too i 'm the good shepherd and i 'm the gate. you are my flock, the sheep of my pasture you 're my people, and I am your God. back in jesus day, they had these sheepfolds they had these uh, uh, they had these in fact, this is a picture of a holy land sheepfold, the, the ancient ruins of it and you 'll notice a few things one is the walls a few feet high that 's to protect the sheep during the day that 's one thing, but when daylight would give way to to the darkness of nightfall, the sheep were in potential danger. And the danger came from predators, uh, wolves or or bears or uh, other animals that would come and and try to uh, devastate the flock of sheep. And so shepherds would build these sheepfolds and these walls of protection around their sheep at, at nighttime. They would, as good shepherds, guide them through the gate, into the sheepfold, and then the sheep would be there and they'd be protected. But you say, well, how protected are they really if there's this big gap? I mean, I I suppose if they actually had a gate and they could close it, you know, like a wooden fence or something and attach it and and close it, that would be safer. They didn't, historically. What they had was a shepherd. And traditionally, what that shepherd would do in Jesus' day, and everybody in the crowd that Jesus is teaching knew it was that shepherd would lay down in the opening at night and would become the rest of the wall, would become the goalie, if you will, guarding the sheep behind them, would become the gate. I am the good shepherd who is also, as you know, the gate for the sheep when the darkness rolls in. I am the one who protects the sheep from predators, from enemies, from, in Jesus' case, protects us from the darkness of evil, from sin that would destroy us, from death that would end us. Jesus says, I am the gate for you on those things. I am your protector in those ways. I am the one who stands between you and all of this peril, all of the darkness. I'm not just the good shepherd, but as you know, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and sacrifices his life for them. And so Jesus is saying a whole lot more than what we might first think. I'm the good shepherd. Oh, that's nice. I'm the gate. Well, that's lovely. You can take us from here to there. No, he's the sacrifice. He's the one who goes to the cross, lays down his life for you and for me to put our sin to death and takes on our death through the cross and wins a victory over it. So that by faith we're joined to Jesus Christ and as he rises from the dead, the Bible promises, so too do we. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd who becomes the gate. Hear hear this part. Don't, Don't just hear this as a history lesson. I'm the gate for you. Right now. And forever. Now let that part of the sentence sink in. I'm the gate for you. Right now. Right at this moment. I am the gate for you who wants to forgive you of all your sins, who wants to guide you away from the darkness and the evil and the predators that are around you, who wants to give you life eternal, even through the grave, even through your death. I want to raise you up to new and everlasting life. I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. For you. Soak in that. Immerse that today. I am the Good Shepherd and I am the gate for you. Not just the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you at the other campus, whatever campus you're at right now. For you. This is who I am for you, Jesus is saying. I don't want to just stand up and say, This is who I am, so you got to deal with it. Jesus is saying, This is who I am for you. I'm your gate, I'm your protection. I am your better way, your deeper truth, your more abundant life. I am your good shepherd. I'm the gate for you right now. Don't miss this part either. Forever and ever. Eternally. Eternal in the Greek of the New Testament literally means really big and with no ending points. No finish lines. There is no end to it. This is what I come to give you. The thief comes to destroy and kill, Jesus says here in John 10, but the Good Shepherd comes to bring you life. Right now. Receive it. Get to know the Good Shepherd's voice. Recognize it when it's true. And hear the good news that it's for you. Right now and forever. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. The original Greek word, for good is actually, be- it's kalos. Everybody, let's say that together just because it's sort of fun. Kalos. Hey, let's say it again. Kalos. Beautiful. 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 That's what the word means, literally. I am the beautiful shepherd. And this Greek word in John 10, for I am the kalos, the beautiful shepherd, isn't just some sort of surface kind of, oh, that's very attractive. It's an inner strength and nobility that comes out as beauty that is perceived and is visible and is seen. That's the kind of shepherd I am for you. I bring you that, well, I take the ashes and the dust of your life and I turn it into beautiful things. That's what the scriptures say. I exchange your death for life, I exchange the old for new. I exchanged the black and white and the grays for full color. I am the beautiful shepherd for you. I am the gate for you. I am the kalos for you. I am the beautiful shepherd. I am the beautiful gate. And when Jesus said that, his listeners immediately would, all of their, I assure you, all of their minds went directly to a place that was actually called the beautiful gate. It would be like if somebody stood up here and said, "Uh, I I am the gateway arch in St. Louis for you. Everybody thinks of the same thing. I am that gateway. Well, I am the Kalos, shepherd for you. I am the beautiful gate. The gateway they would think of is the gateway that's called the beautiful gate that stood right outside of the temple, which in the religious tradition of Jesus' day people would see that as the residence of God, the place where God was. And so you would have to go through this door, this beautiful gate to get from your life into the presence of God. That's who I am for you. I'm the one who leads you from the ordinary to the extraordinary, from the old to the new, from death to life. I am the gateway to God for you. I am the good shepherd and I am the beautiful gate for you. Right now and forever. Right now and forever. That forever part is hard for us to grasp onto. And some of us fear death so much we don't even want to talk about it, hear about it, get anywhere near a cemetery or a hospice or even a hospital. We're so afraid of it and we deny it in all sorts of ways we don't even perceive or notice. But death isn't anything we have to fear. Because Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate, and next week he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and we'll dig into that deeper next week. But for now, a glimpse, a glimpse of this forever, kind of as a transition between I am the gate, from old to new, from death to life, and I am the resurrection and the life. Fifteen years ago, there was this movie that came out, Oscar-winning movie. Russell Crowe, I think, won the Oscar for Best Actor. He played Maximus, the gladiator, who took on the corrupt Roman Empire of his day. It was Marcus Aurelius, the, the good Caesar, who had a son named Commodus, who was a not a good Caesar or not a good emperor. And that's what history teaches us. We only have a handful of documents. Did you realize that? A lot of us, we just assume and accept, well, you know, Roman history, Marcus Aurelius and Commodus and all these things, those are, those are facts. That's historical fact. That absolutely happened like that. Even though a century before that, Jesus was here and the New Testament has over 25,000 ma- ancient manuscripts that point us to the authenticity of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we say, ah, I'm not so sure. Marcus Aurelius, we have about six documents. That's about it that say he existed and did these things that he did. But we say, oh, for sure, for sure it happened exactly like it says in the history books. Maybe it did. I'm not saying it didn't. I don't have a problem with that. But I always find it fascinating that we're all ready to accept Roman history and Greek history, but the same time Jesus shows up, and we have mountains of evidence and documents that point to his life, death, and resurrection, and the world says, yeah, that's just a matter of faith. You just, you just have to take that on, on some wild, blind leap of faith. There's way more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is for the fact that a guy named Marcus Aurelius even existed. I am the door, Jesus says. I am the gate. If you don't know where this door is, folks, find it. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. If you don't know my voice, get to know it. Because I'm the one who shows you a better way. And the only one. And a deeper truth. And a more abundant life. Right now. And forever. It's fascinating to me. There are two things in the New Testament two big things in the New Testament that the New Testament points us to as a promise of God, but they use metaphors. And I believe that's because our brains can't take it in. And those two things are the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is like a mustard seed that grows. Heaven is like a pearl of great price that a merchant gives up everything in order to hold onto that pearl. If you knew how good it was, you'd give up everything for it. Find it. And the second thing that the Bible can't fully describe is the nature of Jesus Christ metaphors I am the bread of life because your brain isn't going to be able to fully take in everything that Jesus is thank God that he's bigger than that he's bigger than your sin he's bigger than your death he's bigger than the darkness around you you can't take it all in he's so much and yet he comes to you today and he says for you I am the good shepherd for you I am the gate for you I am the door to new and everlasting life right now and forever and ever I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Follow him. Get to know him. Let this good, good God, who is a good, good father for us as his children, a good shepherd for us, bless you in your life.